a new episode of Read It Right. Today we have Sunny Singh. Uh, he joins us from Brooklyn, New York. Sunny has been with the brass band uh, Red Barat for a decade before launching his career as an independent musician. So uh, let's get Sunny right into the interview. Let's ask him more about his journey. So welcome, welcome to the interview, Sunny. Thank you so much. You you've been featured by the Rolling Stone. You've been all over the place. Your songs have been doing great on YouTube. Uh, people talk about you using your music uh, as a form of activism, whether it is the anti-CAA protests or the ongoing farmer protests. So, what drives you? A great, great question. Well, um, you know, I'll 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 start by saying that a lot of what drives me is uh, is this sick idea of chardikala, um, which is this uh, spirit of sort of we're always steadfast and determined and uh, optimistic, even in the toughest of circumstances. And so the album that I'm finishing up right now um, that I've released a few tracks for already is called Chardikala. Um, and so that's sort of the theme of this whole new body of music that I'm that I'm working on, which is deeply influenced by Sikhi and by Sikh philosophy and uh, sort of the Sikh revolution, but also more broad than that is, as well. Um, but this idea of Chardikala is something that inspires me in my in my daily life as well. Our people, not only Sikhs, but really all oppressed and marginalized groups have experienced a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of oppression. Uh, but if we give up hope, if we uh, if 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 we don't uh, get up to f to keep our heads up high and fight another day, uh, you know the oppressor has won. So for me, that's something that really keeps me going these days. You also work as an educator. So uh, how how do you use your work to create a kind of consciousness against uh, the ongoing rise of what you see, like a right wing fanatic, uh, you know, movement all across the world, not just in India. So how do you use your education, your work as an educator? Uh, absolutely. So as, a, as an educator, a lot of what I do and, and I've been doing for a few decades is really serving as a facilitator, as someone who, uh, who asks questions and, and sparks honest and, and deep conversation about the issues that matter, right? Um, so in the United States, that often looks like uh, conversations about race and racial justice, right? Um, which is such a such a huge problem here really embedded uh, in the history of this country right this country was founded upon the stolen land of indigenous people founded on the transatlantic slave trade right treating humans beings as property and and those systems of white supremacy are still deeply deeply a part of our society so i do a lot of trainings and workshops on these issues with different organizations students teacher trainings um, and, and more broadly than that, um, you know, my work as an educator and organizer is, uh, is really driven by, uh, is really driven by my, my desire to, to ensure that, uh, you know, we're always moving closer towards social and economic justice. And you mentioned some of the, the key issues in India right now that are, that keep me up at night, right? right. Um, of course, the, the vilification of Muslims and other uh, religious minorities in a sort of increasingly uh, sort of Hindu nationalist government. Um, and so when I think about the role of my music, uh, you know, this, this new project in particular really feels like bridging my two worlds as a musician and a, an activist educator, if you want to call it that. So um, some, of the, some of the music that I'm releasing, uh, the lyrics are directly drawn from Gurbani, Sikh, Sikh devotional yeah. poetry. And when we reflect on what some of these uh, shabads or poems mean, they're so relevant to our to our contemporary times. Like one of the one of the tracks I released is a is a shabad by 
Guru Arjan, which was written in the 16th, uh, 17th century, Koi Bole Ram Ram Koi Kudai, right? So some call the divine Ram, some call the divine Kuda, some say Allah, some say Gusain. Um, and the reality is, these are all valid, right? We're all talking about the same thing. We're, ta- we're all right. talking about this one divine that connects us all, uh, which is a very basic and simple message written hundreds of years ago. But we look at what's happening in India right now, right? Um, we look at what was happening last year with the passing of the, the implementation of the CEAA and NRC. Right. And that message, it's a slap in the face to that very simple message of religious unity and pluralism. Um, and so to me, it made sense to use that uh, to use that track uh, as an educational tool, as yeah. a consciousness raising tool uh, to to uplift the movement, the protest movement against the CAA, and so that's what I did with that with that music video. So it's not that every song I release needs to be a protest anthem, right. but I, you know, for me, my music has to be relevant. Um, have you always been so cued into, uh, especially the political developments in India, even when you were, you were growing up in the U.S. Not always. Uh, my parents were not particularly politically engaged. Um, so first I, I sort of, I think I got politicized more around what was happening in the United States and even what was happening inside Latin America, because right. I learned that history before I even learned the history of what was, and the current reality of what was happening in India. And in fact, I remember learning about, uh, you know, the 1984 massacre, uh, some call it genocide of, of six in India. I remember learning about that uh, in college um, and being like, wow, this is like what the U.S. was doing uh, through supporting dictators in Latin America, you know, in places like Chile and Argentina. So Mm -hmm. I learned about that Latin American history before I even learned about the history of my own people in in India um, and some of the the oppression and violence that that we have endured. So it's been it's been a slow process. I'd say I've gotten more tuned into to Indian politics beginning in my 20s, um, tapped in to uh, sort of a network of South Asian American activists in New York City and the US who are really concerned about the rise of Hindutva starting in the sort of early 2000s is when I kind of started tapping into that community. And then right. it stayed, at, you know, I'm, not, I'm no expert, but I, I try to take the lead from, you know, Dalit and Bahojan activists in India from, yeah you know, Sikh activists and Punjabi activists in India, those are the movements that I most tapped into. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always so much more to learn. So I want to pivot to your music here. And uh, so 10 years with the Red Bharat, and then uh, you launch your own career and you decide to use the specific attribute of Kirtan music in your music very heavily. So uh, two questions. One was, what prompted your decision to, you know, branch out as your on your own and uh, why did you decide to use kirtan uh, in your music so heavily yeah great questions well one, the questions are completely related to one another because i a, there was never a point where i made a decision oh i need to be a solo artist now right that that wasn't really my motivation but basically my motivation was uh you know there's been a lot of really uh horrific things happening in the world these last few years um mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of maybe about two years ago, um, a little bit more than two years ago, there just been you know a couple of uh, you know white supremacist terror attacks in the U.S., also Christchurch, New Zealand, um, 
Bolsonaro had just been elected in Brazil. Modi was only getting more popular. Uh, we were a few years into the Trump administration. And so I was feeling very overwhelmed, right? Uh, and I was having a hard time tapping into that feeling of Cerdicola that I was describing before. Yeah. Um, and so I just found myself getting on my harmonium and, and just sort of like recollecting some of the kirtan that I learned as a young kid, because that was the first music I ever learned oh, before okay. I ever picked up before I ever picked up a trumpet. So I started kind of remembering some of those shabads, um, uh, those those devotional songs, and one thing eventually led to another. I started putting together little montages of yeah. myself playing, you know, very different instruments that that you would then you would normally hear in kirtan. And the feedback I was getting, I was just posting them on Instagram, and the feedback I was getting was was really positive. It seemed to be really resonating with others. So it really came out of my own need to connect to a more explicitly spiritual uh, form of music. Um, and and the next thing you know, I'm sort of uh, creating my own compositions uh, to some of these to some of these shabads. Um, and and then reached out to a good friend of mine who's uh, a part of an LA-based band called Ozo Motley, uh, an incredible producer and musician named Will Dog Abers, and he was really excited to produce produce a record. So we started we started recording in the studio. So those basically those little Instagram montages that I started releasing, I think early 2019, late 2018, turned into the record eventually. Fair enough. Uh, I think I've been binging on your videos for the better part of today in preparation for this uh interview and they're they're really good uh, so how many instruments do you play in total because, because i saw you play a variety of instruments i guess i guess it depends how generous we want to be with uh, i play an instrument <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like i competently play the trumpet my dull playing is decent uh and my you know and of course i sing um so i i'd say those three things i do with some competence uh, you know, I play a little harmonium and keys, but not not in any professional capacity. Um, and then, of course, I can I can make rhythm on other kinds of percussion instruments too. But dole is really the the percussion instrument that I that I've learned how to play. Um, so that not nothing nothing too crazy. So three three to three to four. <laughs> <laughs> right. So your uh, use of the trumpet, especially. Uh, uh, gives your music a very unique uh, kind of a sound which is uh, not heard of so much nowadays. I don't even know how, how to describe it, what genre to put it in. So how would you describe your music? I don't really know how to describe it either. I'm, I'm interested in how others, others describe it. But uh, I do think uh, the music that I'm making right now is, you know, it really attempts to be a reflection of a lot of the sounds that have influenced me. Um, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to put myself into any corner. I didn't want to really put limits. And same with uh, my producer, Will. Didn't didn't the way he thinks about music is not genre, right? Okay, we're gonna make a Punjabi album, or we're gonna yeah. make a, a global fusion album, right? Like that's not the way that we think about music. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it. I, I think a lot of the elements that have shaped me. Uh, and have influenced me seep into it. So of course, there's a lot of South Asian and Punjabi rhythmic elements uh, right. under, underneath the music. Whether it's uh, you know tabla or dolki or dol, that's that's driving some of the rhythms. Um, uh, but I think I think there's elements of of reggae and ska in there that you know that's the scene that I came up in as a teenager. So it's not surprising that that would kind of seep into the, the, the mm -hmm. compositions and 
and arrangement. So I think it's a very it's a it's a very global New York City sound in a way, yeah. right? Um, yeah, it's a melting pot. Yeah. yeah, I've been I've been living in New York for 18 years. So, um, but of course, that's there's a there is a sort of Punjabi or South Asian, maybe a little bit mm -hmm. more broadly kind of root to, to a lot of the melodic and uh, rhythmic elements, but not in any traditional way, of course. Right. So the videos of uh, Mitter Pyare, uh, Pyare Nu and uh, Chardi Kala, they, the videos were very well produced. Uh, conceptually, they were very well shot. So, uh, and they were shot in India. So did you have to come back for that or was there a team that uh, took care of everything? Uh, yeah, so for Koi Bole Ram and Chardi Kala, um, they were both distance kind of uh, directed. Well, Chardi Kala was distance directed by a by a, a, a friend and director here named Hira Singh, uh, who used to live in India for many years. So he still works with cinematog a cinematographer there mm -hmm. who, uh, who found that location in that village near Patiala and mm -hmm. uh, lined up those kids. Yeah. Um, and then we did a shoot in New York as well, um, mm -hmm. in in Brooklyn. So where you see me in that video, we're in we're in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and and similarly for the Koi Boleram video, um, that footage that was also done from the U.S. But um, I reached out to a bunch of folks in India, mm -hmm. asking if anyone had protest footage um, from the anti-CAA demonstrations that they'd be right. willing to lend me. Um, and a few people came through, including the Jamun Collective in mm -hmm. Delhi, which was out you know, shooting the protests almost every day at Shaheen Bagh. And so we were so lucky that mm -hmm. uh, that they were kind enough to lend us that footage. Um, and then we did a shoot here as well in, in Jackson Heights. A lot of people think I'm in India in that shoot because Jackson Heights is a very desi neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's just Jackson Heights, Queens. <laughs> so have you performed in India? I have, but certainly not with my, my new project. Um, yeah. And not with Red Bharat either. But a couple of years ago, I spent um, a month or so out there and did a bunch of shows with the Scavengers, mostly playing trumpet with them. Um, I don't know if you know them. They're out of Delhi. Really great, yeah. great band. Um, also played at NH7 with with them, as well as a friend, Brigusani, uh, another friend, Ankur Tavari, um, yeah. and played at the Magnetic Fields Festival um, with uh, with a couple of friends as well. So it was it was really nice. It was my first time playing in India. It was a, a good way to just get a sense of the scene, the indie scene out there. A lot of uh, incredible musicians um, and not a lot of trumpet players. So everyone was yeah. very excited to, to have me play with them. <laughs> There's a niche for you. <laughs> right. right. So um, you are also a prolific uh, writer, I think. I read some of your pieces uh, from your website and uh, you write extensively about this concept of Chardi Kala. So uh, would you like to explain to uh, you know, our listeners, our viewers, what Chardi Kala means to you as a uh, personal philosophy and also more as a song. For sure. As I was saying, you know, this is the, this is the, the spirit of Chardi Kala is, is definitely what, what drives me in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, and it's not just me, right? It's a community sort of spirit of ever rising spirits, uh, sort of revolutionary eternal optimism. In, in the face of darkness, in the face mm -hmm. of struggle. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's an idea in, in the Sikh community that's existed for, for a long time um, that we hold our heads up high. And, you know, when I, when I was releasing the, the, the single Chardikala and the music video, you know, we're in the midst of the, and we still are in many ways, of course, the COVID crisis has, yeah. has been, been very difficult, um, but in the midst of the, the farmers protest, uh, 
to me, looking at the looking at all the footage, following the protest movement every day, you know, the Punjabi farmers and Indian farmers more broadly really were epitomizing for me that mm-hmm. idea of Chardikala, right? They're up against uh, a government that's uh, getting increasingly fasc- fascistic, authoritarian. Yeah. Um, so sort of in so many ways, they're kind of fighting against all odds. But still, you look at the the brightness and optimism in their faces. You look at their determination to continue fighting, to continue organizing for respect and dignity. That That's what Chardikala is about. You know, it's not just about positive mind state being being happy. It's it's a it's it's bigger than that. Right. It's like, what are what are we here for? What are we on this planet to do? Um, and I think for me, uh, we're on this planet to make sure that each and every human being is treated with uh, respect and dignity. And when something gets in the way of that, whether it's uh, whether it's a Modi, whether it's a Trump, whether it's a certain corporation, whether it's you know uh, whether it's another person, right? We do everything in our power uh, to stand up for for the person being impacted, and we do it with uh, with ever rising spirits, right? If we if we center love, if we center devotion. If we center those most oppressed, I think I think we will win. That that's very well put. That's very um, aptly put at a time like this. I think uh, uh, so. So before uh, the Red Bharat and before your independent work, uh, there was this band that you I think worked for uh, worked with. Uh, it was called Outer National. Uh, so tell us more about your work with Outer National and. Uh, how it shaped your philosophy as a musician? So when I when I moved to New York City in 2003, I was a, a young person and knew that I wanted to start a band uh, ASAP. And uh, and very quickly through through sort of my activist networks and and friends that I was building, I met a few musicians that had a lot of similar musical and political interests, and and we started this band in the in the fall of 2003 um, with uh, with really a you know, a mission of being sort of a, a revolutionary uh, rock band, um, but but drawing from a lot of different musical influences. Um, and yeah, so it, in, in many ways, it wasn't my first band. Um, I had a band in college for many years as well, a, a ska band. We put out a few albums. We were not very good, but it was the first. It was the first band that I was quite serious about. You know, I was not on a on a trajectory as a as a kid to be a professional musician. Um, so, but with Outer National, I ended up, you know, I had a, I, ha- I had a day job as a union organizer when I moved to New York. And after about a, a year and a half of that, I ended up leaving it so I could focus more on music because um, mm-hmm. things were going pretty well with the band. Um, we were, we'd signed a, a record deal with a major label and we're making an album that was uh, going to be produced by Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was not... Uh, it was a grueling lifestyle. You know, we would sleep in the van when we would go on tour. We'd sleep on people's floors, um, playing small kind of punk rock venues, not really making any money. Uh, but uh, but it really it, it was definitely a very uh, a very powerful experience for me to kind of uh, co co create that music um, and uh, and and build build a following in that sort of grassroots uh, grassroots way and get to work with you know, some of the most incredible engineers and producers in, in the world. So I felt felt very lucky. Uh, you've also been a part of a global documentary. I think it's called From Here. And uh, so tell us more about what From Here was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, for actually starting from that time, it's good that you asked this uh, after talking about Outer National. So 
a documentary filmmaker reached out to me when I was in Outer National and asked me if I'd be willing to be interviewed for um, a project that she was working on that focused on the experiences of children of immigrants. Um, so I'm a child of immigrants, of course. My, my parents migrated from, from India. Um, and the, the sort of topic she was exploring is what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to belong? What does it mean to be American? And then it's a transnational lens. She, she filmed a few of us in New York and a few of us in Berlin, Germany, um, because immigration, migration, nationalism, these are very global issues, of course. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up being followed around by her <laughs> and her camera for, for many, many years. Um, and, uh, and the film just, uh, just got wrapped up last year. It's called, it's called From Here. It tells the stories of four of us who are all children of immigrants, two of us in New York, two of us in Berlin, Germany, and we're all artists and or activists in some way. And so I think she was interested in telling our stories because in some way, in, in, in many, in four different ways, our work all kind of explores that question of belonging as well as that question of sort of resisting rising nationalism. Um, and that's an issue in Germany, it's also an issue in the United States, yeah. um, so it's a really it's a really powerful documentary that spans. You know, she was filming us for uh, the better part of a decade, so she kind of sees us grow up in a lot of ways um, and explores a lot of different aspects of our our, our work. Um, hopefully, it, it's doing the festival uh, circuit right now. So occasionally, there's there's screenings. Folks can learn more about it um, at, at the website fromherefilm.org.com. I can't remember which one. Um, but hopefully, uh, eventually, there'll be distribution and it'll be available for everybody to, to mm -hmm. stream in the next year or so. How do you think of India? Is India a muse? Uh, India, is India the country that, uh, from where you came? Or uh, is India like a distant, you know, the other mother that you have to check on from time to time? What is India for you? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think I have a very complex relationship with with India. You know, um, of course, it is it, it is my ancestral homeland, but that's not even totally true, right? And that's the complexity of it because my ancestral homeland is Punjab, uh, and both sides of my family come from the other side of the border, right? That artificial border that was created in in 1947. So even this idea of India is one that is that is, uh, is slippery. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. And 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 uh, and the Indian government is one that even pre-Modi, one that uh, I, you know, that I do not feel any affinity with and one that has, you know, oppressed so many of our people. So, so I don't have, the, I don't have a sense of Indian pride, per se, but uh, I have a deep connection uh, to South Asia and to Punjab more specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I yeah, like I very much consider myself uh, someone in the diaspora. I'm not an expert on what's going on there. Uh, but what's happening in South Asia, beyond India as well, like also what's happening in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, it's all, it's all very important to me. Um, I have a lot of family there still. Um, I just lost an uncle to, to COVID last week. And, mm -hmm. you know, so what, what like India's pain, I, South Asia's pain, I, I, I feel that directly through, through family, but also just through, through affinity, through sort of ancestry, right? Um, and and that's not the same as being there, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but it is uh, it is an important part of uh, of what shapes me and what and what drives me. And and I want my work, um, especially the work that I'm doing now, to be relevant in in South Asia. It's a, it's an important uh, 
there's just so many issues there that are uh, mm -hmm. that are just so heavy, right? Um, whether we're talking about caste oppression, whether we're talking about sort of COVID uh, healthcare apartheid, uh, you know, whether we're talking about um, you know the fight for uh, you know sick and other religious minority rights in India, right? There's so yeah. many issues that matter very deeply to me. So I try to stay informed and I try to make work that uh, that is that is relevant. Right. And I'm deeply and I'm deeply inspired by social movements happening there too. That's the other piece, right? Um, and right. so I want to uplift those social movements as much as I can. Your uh, immigrant experience, uh, you think uh, it influences your political um, kind of philosophy and also the way you perceive music, not just as an entertainment uh, medium, but uh, you know, as something that can bring about change. You know, when I when I talk to folks about how I became an activist, how I became, kind of became you know, committed to struggles for, for justice and liberation. I always start with my own experience, and that is as a, as a child of immigrants, as a person of color, um, you know, a term that we use in the United States, but, but beyond also to, to, to refer to people who are sort of racially oppressed, um, and as a Sikh, right? Um, so growing up in this country with, with those identities meant that I experienced a lot of racism. I experienced a lot of harassment and bullying growing up, um, and and that shaped me uh, mostly for the negative, of course, right? Like I, as a kid, I had very low self confidence. Um, I was very insecure, um, and it wasn't until my teenage years that that began to change, and that began to change through sort of facilitated conversation with others about these issues, and then I began to see that our, you know, what I was experiencing as a as a Indian American or as a Sikh, uh, actually uh, had a lot in common with, uh, you know, what black kids in a different neighborhood were experiencing when it came yeah. to the racism they were experiencing from police. I wasn't experiencing, experiencing it from police, uh, but our enemy in a way was common, right? Our enemy was sort of white supremacist uh, ideologies and, and yeah. systems, right? So um, I began to see that I was being bullied because I was being sick. Someone else was being bullied because they were gay. Um, and there's a, there's a common link there, right? We're, we're fighting for something, uh, you know, our, again, our enemy of, uh, of hatred and oppression is, is one and the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so then that, that began my journey of kind of, uh, of kind of becoming an activist and that really started probably about the age of 16. So what's next for you as a musician? What's next for you as an activist? Um, what does the, what does the future, uh, look like for you? Yeah, so musically, I'm uh, I'm finishing up the album right now. The whole timeline, COVID has obviously thrown a wrench in all of our plans uh, this last year, year and a half. Um, so I've been releasing the tracks from the album more slowly than I than I would have um, without the the pandemic. But uh, the album is pretty much the album's done being recorded. So we're just wrapping up mixing uh, and mastering now. Mm -hmm. um, and so the plan is to continue releasing. Uh, singles as I have been uh, for a few more months um, and at some point set a date to release the whole thing and, and that is still to be determined as we're figuring out you know when is when is it going to be possible for live music to make a to make a proper comeback um, yeah. of course there's a lot of there's a lot of cognitive dissonance right now because things are with COVID are getting a lot better in the US as they've gotten so much worse in India so yeah it's very it's very confusing um, where I see, you know, people out and about without masks here. And then, you know, people are, you know, uh, thousands of people are dying every day in India. So it's a lot, it's, it's very confusing time. Um, and 
I mean, it's just, it's just enraging, honestly, that, yeah. that uh, certain countries that that there's this sort of global vaccine apartheid thing. It's just, yeah. uh, I think, and this is a this is a tangent, but I think it's worth saying that I think as for me, as long as healthcare is considered something uh, that we make a, that companies make a buck from, as long as it's driven by profit, this is never going to change, um, and and yeah. that's very much what it's driven by in the United States. Um, and uh, I think it's just uh, it's it's just one of the one of the world's greatest uh, uh, sort of uh, injustices, and and we see how it's playing out globally right mm -hmm. now. So um, so I, you know I want to bring more light to that. I want to get more involved in uh, in that struggle uh, for for sort of health health justice and and vaccine equity globally. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I hope that uh, by the end of the year. Perhaps, perhaps January 2022. Let's see the the whole album Chardikala will be will be released. I would love for uh, I have a few shows coming up actually that I haven't announced yet. Outdoor shows in New York coming up with the with the new band. Um, right. And so uh, my hope is to to continue uh, to continue releasing this music to turn it into a live project. Um, my hope is definitely to to bring this music live to to India um, once that's safe and possible again. Yeah, for sure. um, and meanwhile, I'll continue being a part of Red Baroth and, and playing mm -hmm. with Red Baroth as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as an activist and educator, you know, I'm going to I'm going to continue doing what I what I try to do um, and uh, and just try to keep my ear to the ground and, and stay yeah. as as relevant as and as current as as I can in my work. So as an activist, uh, do you ever face uh, this something called activism fatigue, wherein uh, since you're battling powers that are, uh, you know, so many times more powerful than you and so many times more effective and efficient and uh, hatred is easier to sp uh, spread, uh, you know, compared to love. So is there a fatigue that you play, uh, that you face in your activism when it seems that nothing that you're doing seems to be having any real world impact? Really great question. I appreciate that. Um, I think I would be lying if I said no. I, I think every activist experiences that. Um, and along with the fatigue comes, you know, feelings of despair and hopelessness sometimes. And I do, uh, I do think my practice as a musician is very helpful on that personal level <laughs> uh, because I can find my, my peace and solace and and sort of sense of hope in Chardikala uh, through through music, um, and also and also through spirituality, right? Which is right. music for me. For music for me, whether I'm singing a sh like a devotional song or not, all music for me is spiritual, right? It's a part of that. It's a part of my spiritual practice inherently, um, and so that definitely helps. And I think it helps the listener as well. So I've so I've heard, um, but I do think. Uh, I do think what is required of us as as activists and as organizers and as educators for social justice is to to celebrate the smaller victories as well, right? Um, yeah. So you know, if I'm if I'm doing a training with with fifty people on it about racial justice and and white supremacy, right? That doesn't like at the end of that training doesn't mean that racism is over. Uh, but it means that a lot of those people at least had some kind of transformation, right? And, yeah. and they're going to be looking at their lives and their work in a slightly different way. Even if it's a slightly different way, that is a step 
you know, on this, on this path, um, towards, mm-hmm. towards justice. And, and, and I saw that the effect of that kind of, uh, educational experience on me personally and how deeply it transformed my own life. And so that's why I continue to, to, to do the work and it's, it's tiring, <laughs> it's exhausting at times. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, that sense of community, you know, sometimes I feel like protests, uh, in, in the United States, especially these days, are more about the protesters than yeah. what we're protesting against, because it's an opportunity for us to build community. You know, uh, like lately, there's lately I've been going to a lot of uh, a lot of protests in solidarity with the Palestinian people, based on you know what's going on right now uh, in East Jerusalem and and Gaza, um, and uh, and. It's you know I there's no mainstream media that comes that issue has been so silenced in so many ways um, but I still show up and I show up with an instrument when I can because it lifts our spirits to see that we're not alone in our struggles so we're gonna leave that protest and still keep speaking out still keep talking to our families about these issues still keep uh, contacting our uh, elected officials and pushing and pushing and so the protest is this opportunity to come together and and build community um, some, sometimes it's more about that than about actually making change at the protest right right so so we've come to the end of the questions so before uh, we let you go so would you like to play perform saying something for us I have my trumpet right here so I figured oh. I would just do a little uh, one or two minute improvisation uh, on the oh. trumpet. Um, and full disclaimer, I'm just starting my day here in, in New York. So this is going to be the first notes I've played today. So we'll, let's see what happens. Right. <laughs> Beautiful. That was really good. Thank you so much for performing. Thank you. I didn't expect it uh, from you on a morning when you've just woken up about uh, <laughs> an hour ago. So thank you. It, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I've, I've learned so much more about uh, a lot of issues, a lot of your music, and I hope to be following your work in the future as well. Thank you so much for taking our time today. Wonderful, thoughtful questions. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, be in touch. Bye. Sure. Bye.